Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And raised us up with him. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue to worship you, our risen Savior, we ask that you would attend by your spirit, your word, with conviction. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And so we pray you would use your wonderful word by the power of your spirit to do its work within us. We worship a, a living God and not a dead God. And so we give you the glory and pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. The tradition is that we say, He is risen, and the congregation then says, He is risen indeed. Now, in the past, we have also said, we could just as easily say, He is risen, and then you could say, semicolon, We will be risen. That could also be an announcement that we make. I wish we would do that more often. And I think in one sermon, I had us do that. That is, that I could say, he is risen, and your response to me could be, and we will also rise. But we can even modify that even more. We could say, he is risen with power. And then we could say, we are risen with power. We could say that Christ has risen, but we could also say that Christ has risen with power. And not just we will be raised, but we are now raised with power. That could also be an announcement that we make. And this is what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, and raised us up with him, is saying, not, yes, certainly we will be raised up with him, but Ephesians 2, 6 is saying, because Christ has risen, that's past tense, because Christ has risen, verse 6 of Ephesians 2 doesn't say, and we will rise, which is true, but rather it says, past tense, and raised us up with him. You have already, in a true sense, been raised up with Christ, but, as he did, with power. Now, last week we said that what is, in a true sense, what is crazy, crazy in the sense of incredible, amazing, wonderful, crazy good, and crazy love, is that at the cross, Jesus gave us his sin. I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. At the cross, Jesus took our sin, placed it upon himself, but gave us his righteousness. That is crazy. We're sinful that Christ would take our sin upon himself and give us his righteousness. That is crazy, amazing, and wonderful. But with salvation, it doesn't stop there. Salvation is so incredible so wonderful that it also not only gives us a a future body that we look forward to that will be 100% perfect, but also even in the present that we are raised up, spiritually speaking, but in a real sense with great power. And that is also crazy that Jesus 
and his weakness in terms of his death and then his power for resurrection, we also are given power that is unbelievable. So we can say it this way. What is crazy is not only the exchange at the cross, but also since he is risen with power, we also too are risen with power right now. What does this mean and how do we apply it? Every Christian, in a true real sense, is raised with the almighty power of God. That is that you now have the almighty power of God to use in your Christian life. This is what verse 6 means when it says, raise us up with him. But let's explore that a little bit more in depth. I'm going to answer, ask and answer two questions. What does this mean and how is it applied? First, what does this mean? How do we understand this? Well, first, if you look at verse 6, raise us up with him. With him, we were joined to Christ and his resurrection. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And though we know this to be true, let's take the opportunity and just briefly look at a few passages in the New Testament which record his resurrection. And we'll do this as brief as we can. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 5 through 7. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. Just as he said, come see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. He has risen from the dead. We can look at other gospel places which record it. But I want you to go back to the book of Ephesians and to note in Paul's epistles, he elaborates on this resurrection that we see in the Gospels and especially in the book of Ephesians. Now, we spent some time in the book of Ephesians a few years ago to understand Ephesians better, need to understand its background. Ephesus was a city that was known for its, not just its false worship, but especially magic. And in fact, if you read some of Shakespeare's play, at least in one play, there's a statement that he makes, even he was aware of how dark and, and demonic and filled with magic that the city of Ephesus was. <clears throat> and it's in that context that the church of Ephesus found themselves, and Paul was writing them and encouraged them to use the power that they have in Christ, not to fall prey to temptation. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, Listen to how it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, starting at verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? In accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above our rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
And then it goes into chapter 2, talking about we, we used to be dead in our trespasses and sins. We'll come back to that. But if you look at chapter 1 of Ephesians 19 through 23, it's talking about the greatness of the power of God working in and through Christ and Christ's resurrection. In Christ's resurrection. And when Christ resurrected, he overcame all rulers, authorities, dominions, and powers not only in this age, but the, the age to come, the resurrection demonstrated that overcoming peerless power and might of God. Conquering every hostile power that could ever be against the Lord. Well, this is not the only place, of course, other places it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, just quickly, I want to be sure that we see that the resurrection was not just mentioned once a year in April, but it was mentioned throughout most of the epistles. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That's First Thessalonians 1. Verse 10. Uh, of course, we could look at many, many places and scriptures. And I know that you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it talks about the gospel. And verse 3, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. But what I'm pointing out is that the gospel wasn't simply that Jesus died, but that Jesus died and rose again. Not only that, but it was common in Paul's ministry to talk about, it was in his normal practice, to talk about and instruct believers on the importance of Christ's resurrection and even of Christ's resurrection for our own lives. That's why it's mentioned in Ephesians and Thessalonians and even in First Peter. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In order to be saved, you have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can see, plays a central part in the ministry of the New Testament, Romans 4.25, who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So what I'm pointing out is in Ephesians 2.6, when it says, we have been raised up with him, it's highlighting and summing up all the other verses and truth that we have that Christ, the Son of God, Jesus was killed, was crucified, and rose again from the dead. He is risen, and surely he is risen indeed. Now, together with that, is also this truth. When we look at this verse in verse 6, because of our union with Christ, you also, not just will, but you also have risen from the dead. Now go back and look at Ephesians 2.6. And when it says, raised us up with him. Five words, right? One, two, three, four, five. You have basically uh, and and then the verb in the New Testament Greek. 
It's all put together in the, when it says with him, that's a prefix with the Greek word soon. And it's used with verse 5 when it says, he's made us alive together. He's raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places. These words come very quickly in the Greek text and they sound very similar. This uh, together, 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 together. And throughout Paul's epistles, uh, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you find what preposition that's also used. In, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This is the same basic idea. And that is that we have this, it's a real representational, but also a real union that we have with Christ in, in such a way that all that was true of Christ becomes true with, true with us. So his life, his death, his resurrection, and even here in verse 6, seated us in the heavenly places, even his ascension. In one sense, we also partake in that together with him. Yes, it's representational. We didn't soar through the heavens, not yet. We haven't raised physically from the dead, not yet. But nonetheless, we experience a zoe, right? A, a spiritual life, a new kind of life. We have a new type of perspective. We're raised up in the heavenlies. And we have a, a new power. We have a raised up spiritual life with him. This life that we have in and because of Christ. There has been a realm transference. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and we can see this clearly. It says you're dead in your trespass and sins. Well, what does that mean? When we're born, we're spiritually dead. That is, we have no relationship with God. We are separated from truly following and loving and understanding and worshiping God and glorifying Him. We really don't relate to him. We don't know him in a personal, loving way. And then verses 2 through 3 of Ephesians 2 expands on that. And you might remember, basically it says that you walked, you, you were basically a slave to society, the world, Satan, and sin. You can see in verse 2, it says you firmly walked according to the course of this world. That is, society, society has its angry fist, and we can see it today. It, it shakes its, its fist at God, even at, at basic gender issues. It shakes it, the world does, shakes its fist at God and says, no, I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing how I want to do it. But further, you can see in verse 2, the way that we firmly lived our life was according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Though not every unbeliever is demonized, every unbeliever and each one of us, we lived our life underneath the power of Satan. Being dead means that you're dead to God and your life in one sense is governed by the tyranny of Satan. That's what Ephesians 2.2 is saying. And then verse 3 says, we lived our lives according to our sin. 
sin of our mind and desires that then were expressed by by our, our flesh. And then verse 3 at the end says, by our very nature, but by, by the very being, by, the, by our very innermost being, because we were fallen and, and hated God and hated Christ, we were underneath the wrath of God. But you can look at verse 4, in the divine intervention of God with his rich mercy, great love, and amazing grace, he made us alive. He raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenlies. We used to live, in other words, in this realm of darkness, of damnation, and deadness. And we were under the power of the SSS. Satan sends society. But now we've been made alive in Christ. Now we've been raised up and we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. We have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, is what it says in Colossians chapter 1. This is the spiritual reality that verse 2-6 is talking about. That when Christ rose, all those that have trusted Jesus rose with him, yes, one day physically, but but now even in a spiritual sense. And so we're no longer in this realm of deadness to God. But now we're alive to God with Christ and we have his power. We have his power because if you go back and look at Ephesians chapter 1, note verse 19 says that what is the passing greatness of his power toward us who believe. So when we believe in Jesus Christ, we get power from God. What kind of power? Well, this power is what verse 19, you see what it says, in accordance, the Greek text, it doesn't have these are, that's just written there to help us. It, the word in accordance is directly coming out of, off of his power toward us believe, toward us that believe in Jesus. This is the power where Christ conquered Satan and sin and damnation and judgment and every evil name that could ever be named when he rose again, he put all those evil powers, sin, damnation, judgment, demon, Satan, under his feet. And then chapter 2 begins with what word? And you, though you were dead, and though you were under the feet of sin and evil society and Satan, though that used to be your condition, verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, now you've been made alive with Christ. And now you are raised up with him. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, should never be disconnected from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. The specific point of 119 all the way to the end of 210 is basically saying that what was true of Christ has also been, now is, true of you. And so you have this almighty, peerless, incredible, matchless power of God in your life. That's what chapter 2, verse 6, raised us up with him, is meaning that that same power of which Christ was raised up, and Christ was raised up never to die again. He has a totally different relationship to sin. Christ will never Ever again say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Christ never again be the sin bearer. There won't ever be again a, it is finished. Once and for all, he died in the Christ and rose again. In a similar way, we have a totally unique now 
relationship with sin. And, and in fact, all of Romans 6 is about this truth. That our relationship to sin is like Christ's relationship to sin. He had one mission, and that is to be this sinless sacrifice so he could bear the sin of all who would trust him and rise again. He accomplished that mission. Now his relationship to sin is much, much different. And it's the same thing is true with us. And this is what Romans 6 expounds on. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Now, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is why the Puritan John Owen used to say, and you're very familiar with this, sin no longer reigns over us, but sin does remain in us. Sin no longer is our master, but we still are, though we're saints, we still sin. Sin no longer is our king, but it does want to kill your soul if it can So we have a totally unique, different relationship to the world. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, what does Paul say about the world? I have been crucified to the world and the world to me. What does Paul mean when he says that? Did he physically crucify the world? No, but there's a totally radical, different relationship that that every believer now has to the world, to Satan, and to sin. Because we've been delivered from that domain of deadness and darkness and damnation and powerlessness against Satan to a realm of, of love and light and being alive where we have the power of God to overcome sin. There has been this transference of power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see this even in the book of Philippians, where Paul says in chapter 3, verse 8, I'm going to count all things to be lost in view of knowing Jesus Christ. Everything else compared to knowing Christ is garbage. And I think that way that I might gain Christ. And then verse 10, he says that I may know him and the power of his Resurrection. When you are knowing Christ, and when you confess he's Lord, and that he's more valuable than the whole universe, then there is this power of that almighty resurrection that you have in your life to say no to sin. So this is crazy in terms of this wonderful gift what Ephesians 2, 6 is saying then is that you have this almighty source of, of power because you're no longer dead, you're alive. You're no longer in bondage, but you are free. You are no longer in a realm of powerlessness, but you have the 
the peerless, massless, wonderful, incredible power of Christ in your life, the power that rose hand from the dead, is the power that you have to say no to sin. That's the point of Romans 6, and that's even the point of Ephesians, because Ephesians chapter 4 on is going to say, don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. So if you were just to look at Ephesians chapter 4, you'll note where it talks about each one of you, verse 25, speak truth one another to your neighbors. Do you ever lie? Do you, do you have a habit of lying? Maybe anger. Maybe you have unrighteous anger. Is there any one of us in this room that haven't found these sins to be in our life at one time or another? But maybe they're, they're sinful habits. Maybe you're a thief. Verse 28. Maybe you're lazy and you don't want to work. Maybe you have a problem with your speech habits. Verse 29. Maybe you have bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. Maybe you're unforgiving, verse 32. These are all different sins that the Spirit of God is bringing up to the church at Ephesus. And he's saying, you can overcome these sins. Why? What goes back a lot to Ephesians 2.6. You've been raised up with him. You're a new creation. Ephesians 2.10 says, Therefore, because you're a new creation with the resurrection power of Christ in your life, any of these sins you can say no to. As a Christian, we are not sinless. That's why we have 1 John 1.9. We do sin. But we do have also, at the same time, the power to say to any temptation, No! I'm not going to do that. As a believer... As a new creation, as a believer that's been raised up, we can say spiritually, but that means you have a new, powerful dynamic in your life that now you're alive to God and you're no longer a slave to sin. You have that power of Christ in your life by which you can say, Romans 6.11, I consider myself to be dead to sin and Satan and the world. Paul said again, I've been crucified to the world. The world and Satan, they're all crucified to me. But I'm alive to God. To Christ. And so you can't say no to any temptation. Because if we're not careful in the Christian life, there can be times when we can say, I'm just picking a sin in Ephesians 4 at random. I'm not picking on, on anybody. We can say, I have a problem with, with lying. You know, I, I found myself... I'm just looking at the very first sin in Ephesians 4, verse 25. I find it really difficult not to lie. And I, I feel like I'm hopelessly caught. And because my, my dad and, and my mom and my school or, or my friends or, or this and this and this happened to my life, it, it's a hopeless situation. I am a believer. I, I, believe, I confess Jesus as Lord, that he died on the cross and he rose again and I've trusted him. But... There's no way I can break free from this sin. It has me in its grip. Well, the Bible would say, and the New Testament would say, that's a lie. If you're a believer, you have the almighty resurrection power of Christ in your life. Any sinful habit, you can stop it. 
you can say no. Because he is risen, Jesus is risen with power, then you are raised with power. What does that mean? Does it mean we come in, I say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And then the whole week you you go back to your habitual sin. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. Most Americans, I I can say on on Twitter, whatever social media, he is risen. I have, I've done an experiment. I did it this week. He is risen. Get back, you know, like a hundred or something. He is risen indeed. All kinds of people saying he is risen indeed. It doesn't mean anything to them. <laughs> what I'm saying that the Bible says is that Jesus really, really rose from the dead. We really, really one day will have glorious, perfected, glorious physical bodies. But right now, spiritually, if you've trusted Jesus, then you have been raised with a new spiritual dynamic. And so you do have the almighty power of the living Savior in your life by which if you're not saying no to sin, then something's wrong. And so that's the first point. What does this mean? We've been raised up with him now. That is that you have the almighty spiritual power of God in your life because you have a new master and he's made you a new creation and you have a new power. Now then, how how do we apply this? What is it then that we do? Number one, arm yourself with this truth. Arm yourself with this truth. The reason why Ephesians 2, 6 and the whole book of Ephesians and the New Testament is here is not so you take your Bible, you bring it on Sunday, or you have your have it on your iPhone. It's so you lodge it in your heart. It's so that you you know it and you understand it and you use it. Uh, Romans, again, chapter 6. Verse 11 says, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. But then the next verse, Romans 6, 12 says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Represent yourselves to God. That is, we are given truth to consider and to think about, to to meditate on, to to mull over in order that we use it. We think about it and we digest it. We think about many things in life. When we're driving, when we're at home, if we're walking, we think about all kinds of stuff all the time. Scripture is saying some of those things that you think about could be sinful, but a lot of the things you think about are not sinful. They can be pleasant things and even gifts from God. But what we really need to think about and to arm ourselves is with is these these weapons of of truth. Consider myself to be dead to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus. Have you ever memorized that that verse? I would challenge you try to memorize Romans six. At one point, at one point in my life, I knew the whole chapter. My disciples, when I was in the high school ministry, we decided to memorize the whole chapter. And they knew it so well where I can never memorize any verse perfectly. 
I would miss a preposition, and they would say, you missed the, the, you didn't get the right preposition. <laughs> they had a word for word. But memorize Romans 6.11. Consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And actually use that verse. My, I'm not sure what's going on. I, I want to do it, but I, I, I don't know if I'll do it. My nephew invited me to go bear hunting with him. And then Victor Bruce's son in Alaska also invited me to go bear hunting with them. I want to do it, but I, <laughs> a little bit scary. Because I, I can imagine myself being out there and going bear hunting. And I, maybe I, I forget my bear rifle. Or maybe I have my bear rifle. I don't know why that would be a, a 308. I, I'm not sure. 308. Maybe I have that with me. And there's a big grizzly bear. Why do I have the 308 rifle? I mean, I could have a, some of you know what I'm talking about, the Desert Eagle 50 caliber pistol, right? So if I had that, and I had a 308 rifle, and a bear was coming, what should I do? Turn around and run the other way? Then the bear would chase me, and definitely I'll be eaten. Like if the bear's from here to to Leonard, and I have that kind of a rifle and a fifty caliber Desert Eagle handgun, what should I do? I should shoot the bear. You have in Christ much more than a three hundred eight or a Desert Eagle fifty caliber, even more than a nuclear. Even more than a billion nuclear bombs is the almighty power of God in Christ. But you have to actually use it and think about it. And sometimes we can be so distracted and so many things are going on in life that the, the last thing I think about is I'm dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the Bible is written, Ephesians is written, not just so we have it with us, but that we have it and we do what? We use it. Think even about Jesus. Satan tempted him three times. And each time, what did he do? It is written. The Son of God used the Word of God. He used it. He didn't just have it. He actually used it. So use this truth when you fight temptation. And that is you have to tell yourself, actually, I I don't have to do this sin. I, I don't have to. Because I've been delivered from the bondage to the SSS, Satan, sin, and society. I don't have to do this. And that's crazy. That's the crazy power of God. Second, a a second way to apply this is make no excuses for your sin. We're reminded of Adam and Eve way back in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 with Adam and Eve... Uh, chapter 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 12. When God confronts Adam and Eve, the man says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I ate it. Eve says, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Both Adam and Eve are blame shifting and making excuses rather than just admitting their sin. 
and we can often be the same way. But what we've learned just briefly from Romans 6, from Ephesians, from our knowledge of the New Testament, having been delivered, having been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and the power of Satan, do you as, yes, we're sin, we're gonna keep sinning because we're fallen. However, with temptation and sin, I'm not under the power of Satan by which he twists my arm, and so I sin. You don't have to sin. Nobody makes you sin except for who? You. And if we always are having this idea of, I, I can say it myself, uh, counseling, talking, but I, I also say the same thing. You know, I have this sinful habit, and I get defeated by it. And there is a sense in which that is true. Temptation and sin can defeat me. But perhaps that's not the best word. Because the truth is, if I'm defeated by a temptation or a sin, it's because I, I let myself sin. It's, it would be better to say, not, Lord, I confess I, I was defeated. That may not really be a accurate confession. It would be better to say, Lord, I was disobedient. Because in Christ, because of his power, I'm dead to sin, I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. I don't have to do that sin. And if I keep thinking of that I'm a victim of Satan, I'm a victim of sin, I'm a victim of the world, then I'm going to have a a wrong type of loser mentality. When I should be thinking... I have all the resources I need to say no to the devil, no to sin, no to temptation. Any sinful habit, the Bible says here, that I can overcome it. I don't have to keep on in this sinful habit. I can say no to it. Victory was accomplished and secured by God, by Christ, and Christ's resurrection. So one of the ways that we can overcome sin and apply this is by telling ourselves, I'm not a victim of sin. I used to belong to Satan. I used to be blinded and living in the kingdom of darkness, but now I see. And now I know Christ. And now I have his power. Now I have his power to say no to sin. Further, so we've said that there's at least two ways to apply that I've been resurrected with great power. First, I have to actually use it. I have to tell myself, no, here's what the Word says. But second, we've said that I, I make no excuses for sin. When I sin, I say, Lord, it's my fault. It's my sin. It's not just I was defeated. I, I was disobedient. But I have, in Christ, I have all the power I need to always be victorious over sin. Number three is pray like you know God. Pray like you know God because you you do know God. As a believer, Ephesians 3.12 says, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Prayer is a divine means that God's established to have his power in your life. Now, we'll talk more about prayer next week because we'll be going back to Ephesians and looking at Ephesians 
4.16, so I'll say much more about it next week. But we can say this, when you know Christ and you're relating to him through prayer, you're worshiping him, you're thanking him, you're asking for his forgiveness, you're yielding to him in prayer, you're going to have power. That's why Ian Bounds used to say, no prayer, no power. You know, no prayer, no power. But then he also said, no, K-N-O-W, no prayer, then you will know power. You used to be separated from God before you were a believer. Now you're alive to God. And so if you are seeking God, meeting with God, pouring out your heart, casting your cares upon him, on your knees, fighting on your knees, seeking the Lord in humble prayer, the Lord's going to meet with you and he'll give you power. Christ not only used the word and said it is written, if you read the Gospels, you'll see that he was consistently going off alone to... to Pray and to be with his Father. Power comes through prayer. If you don't see overcoming sin in your life, could it be because not not that you're not praying enough times, because you could pray every day, but we want to be sure that we're having sincere, sweet prayer with God in terms of a, a relationship not just as he's a magical genie and you rub him and meet with him and then he gives you what you want. But we want to know him. That's why in Philippians chapter 3, I brought that up because it talks about better than anything else, better than marriage, better than children, better than a good job, better than a great pet, better than fame or money or wealth, better than health is knowing Jesus Christ. And the closer you get to being more and more satisfied in him, the greater the power you see and can utilize of his resurrection to say no to sin. Pray like you know God. Number four. Number four is refuse to play with dead things. Refuse to play with dead things. Now, don't raise your hand. But how many of you have ever played with dead things? I don't mean fish, okay? If you go fishing, you play with, with, with dead things all the time. So I don't mean fish. But how many of you have played with a dead squirrel? Would you allow your children to, to play with dead animals? Here you go, son. Thomas, here's a dead squirrel. Go play with it. We wouldn't do that. Would I myself want to play with a bunch of dead things? Get diseased. You get sick. Well, if you go back and look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. The sins which we are tempted to do belong to the realm of the dead. And we used to be dead to God and dead to Christ. And the wages of sin itself is death. And yet, even as a Christian, I'm tempted, in a sense, to play with things that are basically dead. 
going back to Ephesians 4, uh, lying on righteous anger, laziness, unedifying speech, bitterness, clamor, whatever they might be, greed, lust, whatever they could be. These are all things of the life that was dead. Why would I want to play with those things? Why would you want to play with those things? And so we load our mind with these truths. I consider myself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those sins belong, in a true biblical sense, those sins belong to the realm of of deadness. And if I play with them, though I'm secure in Christ, it's going to bring some rottenness into my soul. Don't play with things of the dead. They will not bless you. Satan will lie to you. Your remaining sin will lie. But instead, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Number five. And then we'll stop here. Aim high in overcoming sin. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 5 says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, even de- evil desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Our current New Testaments domesticate the word here when it says, Consider the members of your earthly body as dead. It's really put to death. It's strike down. It's the idea of execute. So the sinful habits that you've allowed to go on in your life, pick one sinful habit this morning and say, by the power of Christ, by his grace, I'm going to slay this sinful habit. I'm going to strike it down with the sword of the Spirit and with prayer, with the power of Christ. I'm going to slay it. What does that mean? It means you're going to see that that sinful habit gets severely weakened in your life. And you know what I mean. When we first came to Christ, there were sins which we had, and then we come to Christ, and some of those sins, what happened? Poof, they're gone. And then at times, it can seem as a Christian, some of those other sinful habits are so ingrained, it can take a long time. I understand that. But because we have the resurrection power of Christ in our lives, is there any sinful habit that's too powerful for Jesus Christ? Is there any sinful habit in your life that God cannot overcome through the power of Jesus? Is there? No. So we, I, cannot make an excuse of, I can't do it, it's impossible. Certainly. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How do you do it? Just go back over these points that we've listed here. And so when I say aim high, certainly in this life we will sin until we see Christ. But that doesn't mean that we can't sin less. We may not be sinless, 
but we can sin less. Pick a sinful habit. Pray about it. And decide this habit, by God's grace, by the power of Christ, I'm going to overcome it. Consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. It was crazy at the cross that Christ took our sin and gave us his righteousness. That's a crazy exchange. Also, it's crazy that Christ rose with the almighty power of God and has given us that power. That we can also practically, daily, overcome Satan and sin and this the evilness of the society that we live in. It's the amazing grace of God, which Ephesians chapter 2 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. Lord, we thank you for your resurrection. Lord, may we, by your grace, utilize the power of our resurrection through you, by your grace, to overcome Satan and sin, Lord. May we not be idle. May we keep, and not just hold the line, but even press forward in the Christian life for the glory of God, by your grace, through the power of the resurrection. We praise you for Christ's sake. Amen.